You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to Orange County's longest running business talk show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We have a very interesting show planned for you. Why? Because Bill Edwards, who's the CEO of Edwards Global Services, has traveled the world, ladies and gentlemen, in his business capacity. And I'm here to talk about his entrepreneurial journey with him. Bill, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Rick. It's an honor to be here. It's fun, and I look forward to talking with you. Let's start with your last 20-plus years, which you have been the CEO of Edwards Global Services. But I'm wondering, 20-plus years ago, what was your motivation to start this business? Well, after more than 25 years in the corporate world, living in seven different countries and working on projects in, in 50 across numerous business centers or sectors as an operating executive, I just felt it was time for me to go out on my own and use that experience and knowledge to start a boutique international business development firm that uses very detailed processes to create global success for companies wanting to go global. So when you were in that 25-year corporate uh, experience, was there, how long did you think before you acted, hey, I might be able to do this for myself? Well, it really took a long time because I was moving up the corporate ladder and my, my plan was to become president of a very large Fortune 100 company or else our CEO. And uh, in one of my last international assignments, I was the country president for the company in Mm. Turkey. Mm. And I had control over all aspects of starting from one employee to 402 years operating a a multi-sector business. And I realized that I really liked that startup part, but I really didn't like the once it was started up, you know, going and making it run. And so I was really an entrepreneur because I had also done a startup for the company in China and Alaska. And so I said, you know, I think it's time for me to go and do my own thing because I've got a little tired of uh, being told what to do from headquarters, <laughs> quite honestly. Right. Well, it's a, but it's a combination of being, to- <clears throat> um, being told what to do, but also achieving sort of your goal, which was to be the boss. Because you were the boss of that organization. I was the boss. And it yeah. was a great it was a great training program, tremendous yeah. training program that gave me the knowledge um, and experience to uh, to know what worked and what didn't work. And that's so valuable that uh, we're speaking to other entrepreneurs. Maybe you're an entrepreneur in waiting and you haven't found that position, that opportunity that you want to give up your day job for. But you're learning so much, even in that role, if you approach it that way. You, you, you know, you talk about being a startup. Being a startup in, inside of an organization that's funded is different than being a, a startup that you have to bootstrap. But nonetheless, the activities, other than the source of money that maybe keeps you going, right, Bill? You still have all the same opportunities and challenges. Well, I, the think, I, think, I think having the chance to start up operations for the company in two countries uh, was really the point where I realized that I could put all the pieces together. Starting from zero, of course, there was a lot of money behind zero because it was a big company, but <laughs> yeah. uh, starting from zero operations and <clears throat> taking it to success uh, 
I really liked doing that and felt that it was, uh, gave up my idea of being the corporate CEO mm -hmm. of a big, of a fortune 100 <laughs> company and became, became the corporate CEO of a really tiny company. <laughs> I had a similar entrepreneurial journey because my last corporate job, I was president of an operating division and that's the job I always wanted to be. And then I was ready to launch and, and start my entrepreneurial career. One of the things I had to realize the difference between those two experiences is the importance of cash flow when you're in an entrepreneurial <laughs> venture versus a corporate venture. Do you agree? Well, I do. I, I, I started my business to take small U.S. companies global one month before 9-11. So the first year was very light. Only one client was actually worth willing to think about going international because in those, you know, after 9-11, you'll remember people were very inward looking and scared to do anything. Right. So, uh, uh, but, but uh, by year seven, we had a good stable of clients. And then in year 10, we got our opportunity to work with a large company for the first time, very large, publicly traded. And now we work with several of those and our revenue went to seven digits when we, we started working with the bigger companies, but it was, it was a long, it was a long and expensive experience that my my wife was uh, very helpful and and stood by us while while it, while it happened and a lot of friends said uh it's not going to work but uh you know i guess maybe i'm i'm just dogged or dumb one of the two but i just i felt that there was a need and then when we started getting the big companies to hire a little company with expertise um it, it really, uh, it proved itself to be a valid process, but it, it, it took a long time. You said something really insightful, uh, which is the, the support that you had from your wife. And um, I too had that uh, support from my wife, <clears throat> but I, <clears throat> I can tell you the entrepreneurial journey isn't just a journey for the entrepreneur. It's, it's for their whole family, their spouse, Absolutely. their significant other, their children. Yeah. It, because your lifestyle changes, especially if you come from a well-paid corporate job to, to an early stage startup entrepreneur, yeah. things have to and change for a while. And if your daughters are getting ready to go to college and things like that, you know, where uh, the financial situation is interesting. Right. Um, but uh, I guess I believe in nothing ventured, nothing gained. And uh, so uh, in retrospect, it was a really good idea. But I, there were a lot of times when it didn't seem like it was a really good <laughs> idea. <laughs> Uh, I tell you, you're, I'm reliving my early days as an entrepreneur. I, start, I started on the front end of the Great Recession, 2007, didn't really. Okay. Um, and so, I, you know, you're still standing, I'm still standing. And I think our entrepreneurs who can make it through those really lean times in the beginning when most businesses fail anyway and survive, it speaks a lot to your abilities and your, your business prowess. But let's, let's talk about Edwards Global Services. What is it that your firm does? Well, we, we basically help companies uh, carefully decide why they want to take their business into other countries, uh, when's the best time for them to do it in their company history, how should they go, you know, partnerships, licenses, distributorships, in-country operations, where to go, and that's really the key, is where, I believe, is the number one, and then who to partner with. So... Uh, help them project the revenues associated with the expenses of going into a country over time and be sure there's a good chance for a positive ROI uh, over time. 
So we've, I, I started life as an, an engineer in the oil industry, and I'm very engineering focused and process focused. Processes, milestones, timelines. Uh, and that's, that's really what we've been hired for, is that we have a system that works, and it works across sectors, and it works across countries. We've now worked uh, in 35 countries since we started the business. So let me unpack that a little bit because the, uh, there's so much we don't know we don't know, I would imagine, even for larger companies when they're looking to go outside of the U.S. or maybe the U.S. and Canada, I don't know, you know, but uh, when, they, when they're looking to go into a foreign market. So I'm glad to hear that you have a process. So help me to understand a little bit how you when, when people when companies come to you, are they pretty well? Uh, understanding what they want to do, or are they just at a high level saying to grow, we need to go into other markets and other countries. And so we need to figure out how to do that. So where do you usually find them on that journey? It's usually it's, it's well, for, uh, for small to medium sized companies, it's usually they're early into international or just thinking about it and their board or their investors or their executives are trying to figure out, whether it's a good thing to do. They've, they've probably gotten inquiries over the internet about mm -hmm. their product or service. Right. And it's, uh, and you can pretty well tell where those are going to come from. And they're, they're, they're trying to figure out where they ought to go because they have limited resources. Okay. Even, even the publicly traded companies have limited resources, but the medium sized companies have limited people and money resources and time. And they have to decide whether expanding international is a good use of their time and money versus starting another type of project, maybe in the States or a new, new manufacturing line or new product line. So they're, they're trying to figure out uh, what it means to go into another country from all different aspects. Uh, they're, they're often worried about where they should go. And uh, that means that they're, we need to analyze uh, what, how their particular brand and how it's going to fit into a country, uh, what adaptations are needed, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. Uh, and uh, then project for them what, what kind of revenues and expenses they're looking at. Because as I tell CEOs, there are always expenses associated with top line revenues. <laughs> <laughs> And you no. need to also you need to also look at political and economic situations in countries. Of course, uh, uh, we've been doing that forever, but now today it's even more more needed. Um, and so it really is a whole lot of different pieces to a puzzle to figure out. Uh, once you think you ought to go, how, where, and when. You know, I'm, and, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and, I, and, I, and with whom, <laughs> and with whom, which kind of. Who is going to be your partner? That's key because the partner is going to uh, in the country is going to make your company either successful or or not. Sorry to interrupt there. No, that's okay because I, uh, uh, I just want to ask you a question because business is complicated regardless almost of its size. There's always challenges that the entrepreneur turns into the CEO. There's always challenges with the business and scale can even make the business more complicated and complex in the decisions that the CEO has to make. But it sounds like as you're talking about expanding into other countries, the, the amount of risk that they're taking on, if they don't really understand what they're doing, can really negatively impact the business. Not only don't you get the growth, but to your point, you could put a lot of cost into the business 
that doesn't result in com commensurate revenue to cover that expense. Well, that's exactly right. And one of the biggest concerns is you need to look at the legal and tax implications of entering a country just to be sure that you can protect your brand and your investment um, and what it's going to cost for, uh, for you to make money in a country because you, you have to pay taxes there and you have to pay taxes here. And uh, sometimes it's double taxation. So it really, the idea is to go into a country with eyes wide open, okay, looking at all the opportunities, but also the associated challenges uh, and looking at what the risk is that something might happen because some countries have a higher risk that something might happen to your investment and your brand over time than others. Do, uh, when an American, when a U.S. company goes into another country, do you find they are appreciating the, the differences in that market from a client-customer perspective? Or do they have to learn that? And is that why you're suggesting a partner to help them in that country is so important? Though? Well, one of the functions we do is with our team members around the world, we, we help with adaptation. What adaptation are you going to need? for your brand when you go into a new country? You know, what kind of things are you gonna to have to do to make it uh, acceptable to the customers because you want the customers to buy your product or service. And uh, so it's important to do that up front, not do it after you get there. Uh, and because it's going to determine whether you can make money or not. And so I'm a huge believer and I, I, I spent time in the big corporation in corporate planning and I understand that although planning, <laughs> Planning is something that used to be five years, then three. Now it's six months. But uh, you, you need to do planning in advance to um, to figure out what, like I said, like I said, Rick, the opportunities and the challenges mm -hmm. and, and make sure you know those with eyes wide open going in. And if you can do that, you've got a higher chance of success. And you can also determine country A, B, C, D, which is where which one is where you want to put your resources. So. Uh, do you help B2B and B2C, or do you specialize in one or the other space? Well, it's, uh, we work with uh, restaurant brands, fitness brands, auto service, uh, property management uh, brands. Uh, so it, some of them are uh, B2C, some are B2B. It really, it really it, no matter what you do, you still have to do the same upfront look at a country to find out whether there's uh, whether there's a, a market for your brand, you know, really not just because somebody contacts you and says, Hey, we want to take your brand into our country. Well, that, that doesn't, that's not a risk management analysis, <laughs> nor is it, nor is it a financial analysis. <laughs> right. But a lot of entrepreneurs are top line driven. So the opportunity to get into a whole new market, that sounds really enticing and sexy, Bill. Which is why I, I go by my, my thing that I tell CEOs over time, there are associated costs with revenues. Right. <laughs> so, and, uh, and the complexities of all the new things. Plus, is your bank capable of handling and supporting you if you're doing international? There's a lot that we can unpack, but I did see that Jim Mayfield made a comment. And Haley, if you could bring that back onto the screen. Uh, it says, we're lucky to have Bill Edwards as vice chair of the District Export Council of Southern California, based right here in good old Orange County. I added the good old, but he said here in Orange County. So, uh, Bill, let's talk about what Jim uh, talked about. What exactly is the Southern California 
uh, district of the Export Council? Well, the District Export Council is a, uh, a national organization that is associated with the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, we are a, a group of, in Southern California, uh, we're a group of 35 very diverse international business people that, that have been appointed by the Secretary of Commerce to assist the U.S. Uh, commercial Service, the U.S. Uh, Department of Commerce, Jim Mayfield is the head of, the, of that here in Orange County, in uh, helping small to medium-sized companies go global. And we're a, we're a pro bono organization. This is not my, this is not part of Edwards Global Services. This is Bill Edwards giving back to the community and helping small companies and mid-sized companies that don't have internal resources across finance, legal, logistics, uh, licensing, uh, market analysis. Our 35 specialists that are that were appointed by the Secretary of Commerce here in Southern California are just incredibly diverse people who have already uh, who have real regular jobs uh, and uh, are uh, giving back to the community through helping the U.S. Commercial Service. So it's uh, my uh, my executive team says that sometimes I seem to like that a lot more than I like my regular business, but I'll leave that where it is. But it is uh, it can have a major impact on exporting, and I'm a huge believer in exporting because it helps our balance of payment deficit. <clears throat> and, and very often, Rick, uh, small to medium sized companies just really don't know what to do about exporting. They don't know where to go, how to go, how to get started, how to solve problems, and the District Export Council, uh, in working with the U.S. Commercial Service, uh, we provide feedback for those for the small companies primarily. So, so I applaud you for investing time in supporting the District Export Council. But it sounds like to me, Bill, you're actually giving away for free the expertise that others are willing to pay dearly for. And so it's almost like you're working for a nonprofit, although it's the federal government program. Uh, well, <clears throat> the District Export Council of Southern California is a nonprofit. It's a separate nonprofit. Uh, oh, it's, not part of the U it's not part of the U.S. government. Um, okay. But, um, uh, but uh, yes, I think you could say that. But okay. um, we're not giving, we're not doing complete projects for a company. We're, we're giving them advice on certain things like, you know, what is it? What do you need to do to enter China when it comes to intellectual property? Uh, oh what God. are the challenges with logistics through the two major ports? You know, there are two ports here in uh, Southern California are responsible for 43% of all imports and exports in the country. And so the District Export Council has been very involved in port issues over the last couple of years for some you reason. <laughs> As you can imagine. Right. That's so, so that sounds like an invaluable service for middle market companies who don't have the resources inside to, to take this initiative on by themselves and to have 35 experts who have, it's, it's amazing to me that there are 35 people who have domain knowledge that these companies need to leverage to successfully take their business abroad. That, that just speaks to the complexity of well, of we're doing. not we're not uh, in the case of Edwards Global Services. We're doing a project. You know, we're project going into certain countries with all phases. For the District Export Council, we're called on by the by Jim's team to answer questions and give advice on particular issues that companies are having. Let's say, for example, 
Uh, we had one recently where a, a cosmetic manufacturer in Santa Ana was going into the Middle East and wanted to know how to handle packaging, you know. And so there was somebody in the deck that understood packaging for places like the European Union and the Middle East, which is very different than it is here in the United States. And so we were able to give advice on that sort of thing. So that that's the kind of thing that comes up. Or there may be a legal issue uh, mm. that comes up uh, uh, on a country. And we've got specialists that are uh, international lawyers that are in the DEC, District Export Council. So let's bring it back to Edwards Global Services, because I'm Thank wondering- you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm wondering, um, are there hotter areas, better areas right now of the world that you're seeing kind of in a generic sense for businesses who are in the U.S. that are looking to expand? And if so, where where might those be? Well, actually, you know, the pandemic has made a huge difference in in that uh, the answer to that question, because uh, especially here in Orange County in the West Coast, prior to the pandemic, uh, most of the, the exports were to either to the south to Mexico or to the West, to Asia, okay? Mm -hmm. And although to the South is still very strong and growing, by the way, uh, with the US, uh, the, the new NAFTA, USMCA agreement, which is, by the way, was designed to help small to medium-sized businesses. The NAFTA pro program was only for big businesses. But going West now has been a challenge because the economies in Asia are still coming out of pandemic. They're, you know, like a China, Indonesia, Philippines, Malaysia, Thailand, they're still recovering. Their economies are. So they're not, they're not seeing as much export from the U.S. right now as Europe is and the Middle East is. And so right now, the, the, the booming countries for U.S. exports, uh, new exports now, not, not what was already established, is into places like the European Union, the U.K., Middle East, um, so those are markets that are very robust for our clients right now. We're, we're spending, I'm spending uh, most of my time in Europe and the Middle East, although I'm on my way to Australia and New Zealand later this week. So, so you, in your role, you have a sense for sort of the global economy by region and what's happening. And so I'm, I'm wondering, I just have a curiosity about, um, you talked about the Middle East, but as, are you seeing much opportunity on the continent of Africa for U.S. businesses in any way, shape, or form? It's a challenge. Uh, the challenge is multiple. Uh, the economies are a challenge. The and uh, in, in most of our brands, we need to see that there's, we need to be able to define a consumer that is willing to and able to pay for a product or service, okay? And that's a challenge with most of Africa. Uh, there are political challenges in Africa. Uh, you know, for a number of years, South South Africa was a good market. Right now, it's got a lot of challenges. It will come back. Um, and if you go to Northern Africa, Egypt is booming. Egypt is uh, a country full of cranes, it seems like. That's uh, more buildings and malls. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just, uh, that's that's not the generally uh, known feeling about Egypt in, in the news. But if you go and visit, you'll see that they're, it's very busy. So uh, on the north, you've got um, you've got Egypt, Morocco, and the southern part of the of the market. You've got Kenya and South Africa that are places that have good rule of law. This is important, Rick. You have to right. have rule of law so you can protect intellectual property, 
And so that your contract you make with someone in a country is viable. If something goes wrong, which it does periodically, you know, have to be ready for that. So uh, uh, Africa is still a challenge, still a challenge with consumer spending capability um, and legal issues. But um, I think uh, it's not a market that can be ignored because it's huge. Right. And there, there is a, a key in my experience is middle class. Yes. Is there a middle class consumer? Yes. You know, that's what's happened in in Asia. You know, you look at places like uh, the Philippines, Indonesia, China, Thailand, the growth of the middle class is where that growth of consumer is. And that's where we can sell our products and services. That's a great that's a great point. Thank you for making that, Bill. I, I completely can understand that and, and agree with it. Let's talk about. Edwards Global Services in the future. I love having you entrepreneurs because there's always something else you could do or you want to do. Uh, can, you, can you describe your vision for the firm in the future? Yeah, well, I, I've got to go back a little bit because uh, the pandemic was a change for us uh, because our business works when we can go to countries mm. and do market research and find partners and get our clients connected up and the clients can travel to the country to see the business environment, meet the partners. Well, that all stopped in April of 2020. And uh, so we had, we uh, the most of the clients we have uh, were trying to keep their business going. You know, we work with a number of restaurant brands in the States. And, you know, during COVID, they had their own challenges locally here. They were, were not looking so much into new markets, new investment, okay? And in the countries overseas, the people who might be investors were trying to keep their business going. So people were more inward looking. And so what we did is we expanded into uh, doing a lot more market research. Uh, and now that that was about 5% of our, of our revenue. Now it's more than 40%. Hmm. And um, that helped us keep the business going because we have a team on the ground in 27 countries that works virtual for us and they were needing things to do. And so we were monitoring what was going on country by country, which gave us a feel by the way, for when countries were coming out of COVID economically relative rather than what was in the news. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of those, by the way, was Spain. It, it was considered in the news to not be growing, but we knew for a fact that there were a lot of people looking for new investment. Uh, early in 21. And so uh, we started working in back in, in Spain and, and in Italy. Uh, and then the, even though the, those countries were incredibly impacted by COVID, they fairly, they came out fairly quickly because they got a high level of vaccinations. Okay. In the 80%. Uh, so we expanded our, um, uh, our market research. We started a bi-weekly global business uh, update newsletter, which comes out every other Tuesday. And now goes to 1,500 people in 20 countries. I didn't think it was going to get to be that big. Wow. Um, we uh, we added more alliances with other similar firms, like in Europe and in Asia, uh, to expand our network uh, to be able to do business when the economies started coming back. And by last September, when we started traveling again internationally, uh, we were a different company. We were more fine-tuned, even though I was an engineer and thought I had all my processes done. Uh, we, uh, you know, things got a little too good, and then we needed to fine-tune. 
so today we're more of a full service going global firm. Um, and we have more resources on the ground around the world and we have more market research that we've been doing. And of course our, our reports that we're giving to our clients and our network. Um, so I see that the market research to continue to grow. I, uh, we've added uh, countries, expertise in countries. Like I said, we fine-tuned our process to be more uh, financially efficient during COVID, <laughs> okay. which is now paying off. We we uh, approaching our clients in a whole different approach on how we're getting uh, paid and investment by the clients, and they love it. And so uh, I'm... I'm uh, cautiously optimistic, knock on wood. I'm cautiously optimistic about the future. Uh, I will say that uh, before COVID, 60% of our business was in Asia. I think it'll probably go to 40% over once we, by 2023, but we're far more ready to be in Europe and the Middle East than we were before. And we're also uh, ready to go into back into the Americas uh, in 2023 is those economies, which we watch on a daily basis, uh, come back stronger. I love you entrepreneurs because <clears throat> you have to pivot from time to time. <clears throat> and usually it's an externality that forces that and COVID was certainly that. Congratulations on creating new revenue streams or enhancing your revenue streams in the business. And really, after all these years, being willing to redesign some of your service offerings. That's, that's you know, a Rick, lesson I to be learned. I appreciate you saying that, but really we had to. <laughs> okay. Necessity is the mother to of invention. To so. continue to exist, <laughs> we had right. to. And, so uh, if someone so, would like to learn more about your business or connect with you, Bill, how do you suggest they do that? Well, they can contact me at uh, bedwards at edwardsglobal.com, bedwards at edwardsglobal.com. We have a fairly robust website, edwardsglobal.com, edwardsglobal, one word. And then they can uh, they can read our newsletter or blog, which is at geowizard.biz, B-I-S, geowizard.biz. Well, that's great. Thank you for giving so many points of contact and opportunities for people to connect with you. I thoroughly enjoyed our time. Uh, and thank you for what you do for large companies and also those middle market firms here in Orange County. I appreciate well, it. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. I really appreciate it for helping me dissect my entrepreneurial experience. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. And I'd like to thank the audience. <clears throat> You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Bill's episode was episode number 1,371 in our catalog. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you'd like to tell your story, then connect with me here on LinkedIn. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-E-N-Z-I. That's my website too, rickfranzi.com. And until the next time we have a chance to be together, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Thank you.